turn with me to Song of Solomon, chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse 4. Song of Solomon says this, Your neck is like the Tower of David, built for an armory on which hang a thousand bucklers, all shields of mighty men. Your neck is like the Tower of David, built for an armory on which hang a thousand bucklers, that's a word for shields, all shields of mighty men. Father, this morning we are so grateful for all that You have done. We're grateful, Lord, for Your presence here this morning. Lord, I ask now that You would anoint me, God, to preach this morning in the power and in the demonstration of the Holy Ghost. God, let my words not be man's words and not be man's wisdom, but God, may I speak Your words this morning. Lord, I pray, God, for Your power to move amongst us. God, that You would breathe life on us. And Lord, God, that You would encourage Your people this morning, God, as we look at all the great victories, Father, that You have won in our lives, Lord, and have yet to do. God, I pray if there be anybody here this morning who does not truly know You and the free pardon of sin, who has yet to repent of their sins and follow after You and place their faith in Jesus Christ, that this very morning, God, I pray that before we leave this building, they would do that and they would be saved, Lord. God, I just ask that You'd have Your way. Do what only You can. Have Your way with us, Lord. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. The Song of Solomon was obviously written by Solomon. Solomon was the son of King David. Though David was a a man who failed at a stage in his life in a miserable way. There is no question that he was indeed the greatest king of all of Israel. The most famous king to ever serve as king over God's chosen people. Solomon was David's son. And as Solomon was a boy, he was brought up underneath the wisdom of his father. A matter of fact, a lot of the Proverbs that you read were written by Solomon and they were bits of wisdom that Solomon had taken from his father, David. Solomon is writing here in the Song of Solomon about love. He's writing about marriage. He's writing about the love of his life. But he makes an interesting statement. He says, of his love, your neck is like the Tower of David, built for an armory on which hang a thousand bucklers, all shields of mighty men. He references a very real place that as a boy he had brought up looking at. David, King David, had built this this room that held all the armor of the warriors. It, It held the shields of his mighty men. You may have read of David's mighty men and all the great feats that they accomplished. Well, David actually built an armory, a place where all of their shields and their swords and and their weapons would hang. And Solomon remembers as a boy going into this place and looking and beholding with his eyes all of the shields and all of the weapons of the mighty men that 
once served under his father, King David. This morning, in a moment, I want to preach to you about the mighty men of God and their victories. But I want to start out with King David. I want you to know that when David started out his life, he started out as a man of war. First Chronicles chapter 22 and chapter 28 call him that, a man of war. In his early years, before he became the great King David, and before he was crowned a king of wisdom, and before he had possessions of lands, and before he was ruler over Israel, David was a man of war. And I say this morning, there are some things that the young can do best. Listen to me, young people. Teenagers in the back. There are some things that young folks do best. There are some things that only we who are still yet young can do best. David was a man of war in his young age. You see, the giants are meant to be fought by the young men. There is a great need in the church of the living God for young people to rise up and understand. You don't have to wait till you're 50, 60, 70, 80 years old to do something great for God. You don't have to wait until you're half past with your life to embrace the reality that God has a call on your life and there is work for you to do even as a young man, even as a young lady. There is work for us to do as young people in the kingdom of God. David was a man of war. But as his life went on, he became a man of worship. We see that's about David. One of David's great victories was when he finally, in essence, wiped out the Philistines. And he, he regained the ark. And if you remember, he was bringing the ark back to Israel. And it was a joyous time that what was taken from God's people had been restored when God's people were willing to stand up and fight for what was right and take back what was rightfully there and say, God has given us this and it belongs to the people of God. If you remember, David was such a man of worship that on his way back into town, David was worshiping so hard and so crazy that it made his wife angry. She was embarrassed of him. This morning, I'm not going to tell you how to worship or how not to worship, but I will tell you this. I know this for a fact. About half of you in here, half the time, are like a pop bottle that's been shook up and the top's about to blow, but you're just terrified of what it looked like if you just let the top go. Hey, just worship God the way that you want to worship God. We need some Davids again that ain't afraid what their wife thinks or, or what their uh, women or what their husband thinks or what the man in front of you or the people beside you or anybody's going to think that are just grateful for what God has done. They're not afraid to shout it. They're not afraid to raise a hand. They're not afraid to dance if God tells them to dance. They're just going to worship God. David's wife was not happy with him. This is not my sermon this morning. But I just, I will say that David's wife that was displeased with him, her name was uh, Michael. M-I-C-H-A-L. She was never really a suitable wife for David. 
She belonged to Saul's family and never really exhibited any faith in God at all. Matter of fact, 1 Samuel verse 9, chapter 19, 13 indicates that this woman worshipped idols. David did not take her as a wife because of the leading of the Lord. He won her by slaying Goliath. Uh, Saul had made this uh, promise that whoever would kill this giant that was in Saul's way and whoever would put an end to him would be able to marry his daughter. And David happened to be the man that did that. And so David married this woman almost as a prize for slaying Goliath. But this lifetime alliance with the family of Saul meant trouble from the very beginning. And here's the point. Listen, young people, as do all ungodly alliances. There is no communion between God and the devil, between darkness and light. It is so important that you get it settled early on in your life. There is no fellowship between darkness and light. We are to be in this world, but not of the world. We are to be reaching the world with the message of the Gospel and helping them to pull them out of the darkness. But there is no real fellowship there. And it is crucially important, young people, in our day and age, that you learn you cannot have unhealthy relationships and live your life healthy. It will affect you. Who you date. Who you don't. Who you spend your time with. Who you don't spend your time with. So very important that you don't align yourself with people that are going to pull you in the wrong direction, that are going to influence you in the wrong way, that don't love God the way that you love God, and that don't desire to serve God the way that you desire to serve Him. It will influence you and you'll find conflict. This is what happened with David and his wife. While David's just thrilled because God has did something great and he's worshiping, his wife is upset with him. It's important that we make sure that we build relationships with the right people. If you're not married yet, can I tell you, that's the most important decision you'll ever make in your life, who you're going to marry. It will affect the rest of your life. David was a man of war. He then became a man of worship. He then becomes a man of wisdom. He's no longer a youth. He now has mighty men that do the fighting for him. David is a giver of wisdom. Can I say that there are some things that you can only learn with time? One of the things that frustrated me at times about being a pastor, I still consider myself to be very young as a pastor. Not just in age, but in years of time, if you will, underneath of my belt and and years of time and experience. And I, I understand there are some things that can only be learned through years of experience. And David was a man that had come to an age in his life where he had learned some things. He had been there. He had done that. He had fought those fights. He had fought those battles. 
He knew what it was to, to live out in the fields and be scared for his life running from Saul. He, he knew what it was to have to trust God every step of the way. By this stage in his life, he knew what it was to fail and to fail God and to feel like a failure and to be ashamed and to learn how to go back to God and plead for forgiveness and do his first works over and get his heart right with God. He had learned these things by this stage in his life. A church must take those that are willing to teach us. We must take those that are willing to pass down to us from their years of wisdom and learn from them. Knowledge is the accumulation of facts. It's very possible for young people to learn a lot of knowledge. Two plus two is four. That's knowledge. David, in the story of David and Goliath, that David slew Goliath. That's knowledge. The fact that there's 66 books in the Bible, that's knowledge. The fact that John 3.16 tells us that for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life, that's knowledge. Knowledge is the accumulation of facts. You'll never be wise without knowledge, but simply having knowledge does not make a man or a woman wise. It is possible to have knowledge filled to the brim in your brain and yet still be a fool. Knowledge is the accumulation of facts. Understanding is learning how to order those facts. It is the organization of in which order they go. And then comes wisdom. It is the application of those facts. Here's why John 3.16 matters. Here's how it applies to my life. Here's why it's important to understand what, what God was showing us through the life of David and Goliath. Here's why these stories are important. Here's how they are organized. And here's how they are applied to our life. See, that's wisdom. There are some things in life that take time to learn. And David, in his wisdom, was given the idea to build a tower and a place where these weapons could hang. Where these mighty men that had did these amazing feats that the Word of God records, when they were done with battle, He would take their weapons and their shields and their swords and He would hang them on the wall. And then He would take His son Solomon into the tower when they weren't in battle. And there hung all these weapons. And in our text today, Solomon recalls that in his mind. Why were the weapons on the wall? I believe in God's great wisdom. God knew it's important for God's people to be reminded of the great things that He's done. In my mind, I think about David taking his, his son Solomon and they're walking through that armory and he says to his son, Son, you see that sling and that pouch right over there? That there's the sling that your daddy, when I was a boy, I used to use. And God had showed me how to use the thing. And there came a time when Goliath was defying the armies of the living God. And all the soldiers were afraid to fight him. They were shaking in fear. And nobody would stand against this giant. 
But the Spirit of God came over your daddy Solomon. And I knew that God was able. And I took that little sling. And I took five smooth stones. And I went and I stood before that giant. And I told him that God was on my side. And I began to fling that thing around. And God took that stone and sunk it deep into the head of that giant. And he fell and he was slain. He said, you see this sword over here, son? This gold sword with the jewels on it? That's Goliath's sword. That's the sword that I took out of his sheath when he had fallen backwards and cut his own head off with it. It's the sword that the priest later on in my years when I was afraid of what was going on and I was running for my life from Saul that the priest reminded me of that God had did something great and showed me Goliath's sword and reminded me of the victories that God had wrought. Solomon's faith is being built up as he's reminded of all the great things that God has done. Brothers and sisters, we serve a great God. He's never lost a battle. There's never been an army too big that God could not defeat. David went on with his son, Solomon, continuing to show him. He said, you see that big enormous spear over there? One of my mighty men by the name of Benaiah. He was a great mighty man of God. He went down into a pit, in the middle of a pit, on a snowy day, and Benaiah killed a lion with his bare hands. He slew an Egyptian 7.5 feet tall, and he took this spear right here from the Egyptian's hand and killed him with it. He said, you see this sword over here, son? This sword right here, it belongs to Adino. He was a great mighty man of God. There were 800 men that came against him and the Spirit of God came over him and he gripped that sword and began to fight every one of them till the every last one of them was slain because God's power was great on the man. And he began to teach Solomon, Son, one day God will do something great in you. One day this throne will go to you. One day you're going to have to fight battles of your own, Son. And you remember in that day all these swords and these shields of the mighty men that have gone on before you. And you remember in that day how God was able in every time, in every situation to show up victoriously and to do what only God could. He said, but son, that's not all. What did Solomon said on which thousands of shields all of the mighty men hung? I'm not going to share a thousand of you with them this morning, but I'm not done yet. He said, you see this sword over here and this shield? It belongs to Eleazar. Eleazar was fighting the Philistine son, and the Bible says that he grew weary. Physically, he got tired. But the Spirit of God came on him, and the Bible says his hand clung to the sword. In other words, God gave him supernatural strength to hold on to that thing in the day of battle. And he continued to stand there and fight. 
He said, you see this over here? This one here belongs to Shammah. He's the one that stood up for his family and said, no longer will our crops be devoured by the enemy, but I will stand and I will fight till each and every last one of our enemies is destroyed and our farms begin belong to our fathers. Solomon's faith began to grow up in him. There's a time for us to remember the faith of those who went on before us. There's a time for us to remember the victories that our God has won. There's a time for us to pause and think about all the great things that God has done and realize how good and how great our God is. We can talk about the heroes of the Bible. I'd like to share with you a few stories and and let us reflect for a moment on some of the great warriors in our nation. Think about all the amazing victories that God has given to all of His people. Like the founders of our nation. Who believed that God was able to set them free. Who believed in a free society based upon the Word of God. Who believed that we had the right to, to worship God freely. That we had the right to speak freely. That we had the right to read the Word of God. To preach the Word of God. Can I read you what our very first president said about God? This is a prayer at Valley Forge that George Washington prayed. Quote, Almighty and eternal Lord God, the great Creator of heaven and earth, and the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Don't let any foolish, false history teacher, so-called, tell you that our founding fathers didn't build this country upon their Christian faith. George Washington had no confusion about the God that he worshipped. He called Him, quote, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look down from heaven in pity and compassion upon me, thy servant, who humbly prorate myself before thee. Thank God for men like George Washington that were brave enough to cross the Atlantic, to come here and start this great nation. I think about the great preachers that God raised up as a voice to this nation when we were very first starting. Men like George Whitfield, John Wesley, and Jonathan Edwards, who God raised up as a voice against the so-called age of enlightenment. God always raises up a voice against the error of the day. Apostle Paul would stand in the streets and debate with the, the, uh, the philosophers of his day. And in the 1700s, during this age of enlightenment where everybody was thinking that spirituality was about knowledge and that knowledge was power, God raised up some great men like Jonathan Edwards to remind this nation that it is not about knowledge. It is not about head knowledge. It is about the heart before God and that we are sinners in need of a Savior. And he was willing to stand up against the crowds and preach it. Thank God for the brave men and women who have blazed the trails before us. Who against all odds, who against all the crowd, were willing to stand and proclaim, Thus saith the Lord God. Today, we 
enjoy the benefits of such great men and women of God. Can I share with you a couple of things that some of these men said? It was John Wesley that said, Catch on fire and others will love to come watch you burn. How true it is. Oh, there's nothing worse than the lukewarm affecting absolutely nothing. Brothers and sisters, when we catch on fire for God, some might think we're crazy. Some might not be able to stand the heat and they'll run out the door. But there will be those who will come and the fire will touch their lives. There is nothing that will change people like the fire of an Almighty God. John Wesley said, what one generation tolerates, the next generation will embrace. What one generation tolerates, the next generation will embrace. We need some people with some God-given convictions to rise up in our country. I just read a ruling that just yesterday, a ruling that the FCC's attempt to say that nudity and profanity, including the F word, cannot be used on primetime television during primetime hours, and it was struck down. What one generation tolerates, the next generation will embrace. I'm going somewhere with my message. Getting a little bit ahead of myself, but it's time to take the weapons off the wall. There's a battle to be fought. It's time for us as God's people to stand up and realize it is our turn. It is our turn. Jonathan Edwards said this, of all the knowledge that we can ever obtain, the knowledge of God and the knowledge of ourselves are the most important. And listen to the holy life of this godly man. I have resolved never to do anything which I should be afraid to do if it were the last hour of my life. What a thought. I have resolved never to do anything that I would be afraid to do if it was the last hour of my life. Now that is holiness. But I want to say something for a moment. Not just what about the great things that have happened by those in the past. Not just about the great things that God did in, in years and years before. But what about the great things that God has done now? Have you heard about the time that Rick Fyak was here at prayer on a Saturday night? The Spirit of God moved in his heart and he said, Have you heard about the Matlocks lately? Haven't seen them in quite some time. Do you know how they're doing it? I said, no, I'm not sure, but we should pray for them. And we knelt and we began to pray and the power of God fell. And as God is my witness and Rick stands back there and they're here this morning, the very next morning, 12 hours after we prayed, they showed up and God did a work. And here they sit today. Have you heard about the time When Dwayne Houston was sharing his faith at work with his co-workers, and old Jesse Smith said, well, 
I think I might see what that's all about. And Jesse showed up with his wife and they got gloriously saved. And she called her sister and said, Jamie, you've got to come to church. And Bob and Jamie showed up to church and God changed their life and God's doing great things through them. And just last week, we had some amazing cowboy camps where people were saved because somebody was willing to share their faith. I'm telling you, God still works. Have you heard about the time when Chris and Brittany were wanting to have a baby and it seemed as if there was no hope? (laughs) Well, somebody glory to God! Hallelujah! He's still alive! Hallelujah! Glory to God! God's people started praying. God's people started believing. Where's he at? Hold that little fella up. Yeah, hold him up. It's alright. There he is. God still answers prayers, I'm telling you. Have you heard about the time that Lori and Chris were asking us to pray for Jesse and for Lynn? And I'd go by the store where Lynn was working and I'd say, Lynn, why don't you come to church? Every time I needed a drink, every time I needed a soda, whatever it was, a lot of time I didn't need anything. I was just going to pretend I did. And I watched him come and sit on the back row and his eyes were glued and I knew God was dealing with his heart and he wouldn't come and he wouldn't come and he wouldn't come. But there came a day when the crushing weight of God came on his shoulders. He said, no longer can I run. And him and his wife gave their hearts to God. And now he's a Sunday school teacher. And God has changed your life. Hallelujah! We serve a great God. We serve a great God. Have you heard recently about Nate Rylander? Coming with his brother, locked up in the homosexual lifestyle. He'd sit here. God would deal with his heart. And I'd watch him shake at times, and I'd watch him fight off tears. And he was battling, oh, could God really save somebody like me? Is it too late for me? Have I gone too far? Well, if you haven't heard, let me tell you that about three weeks ago, Nate Rylander got saved down in Joplin, Missouri, and his life is different to this day. You see, God still works. The weapons still work. We can get discouraged sometimes when we, in the moment. I'm telling you, God still works. There's a time for reflecting on these things. There's a time for stopping and thinking about all that God has done. But then there's a time to take the weapons off the wall. Those weapons didn't just hang there for David to take Solomon through and admire and tell Solomon all of those stories and build faith up in him. But they hung there for a reason. There would come a time when war would come and war would break out and the soldiers would go into that armory and they would take down their weapons and take them into war. 
I'm here to tell you this morning, God gave us some weapons to fight with. And now's not the time for our weapons to hang on the wall. Weapons like prayer and fasting. Weapons like prayer and fasting and faith. It's not enough to just talk about prayer. It's not enough for me to just come in this morning and talk about when, when Rick prayed and, and God moved in that great way. It's not just enough for me to come in and talk about when somebody witnessed his so-and-so and they were saved. Guys, we've got to take the weapons off the wall. We've got to realize that they work. And we've got to use them for the glory of God. We do too much time talking about our problems and, and what people need and not enough time praying about it to God and asking God to do what only God can. You know what? Many of us still have friends and family that need to get saved. Many of us still have friends and family that need an awakening in their spirit and their faith is lethargic and, and, and they seem to be half-hearted, half-committed and they need a move in their life. It's time we take the weapons off the wall. You see, warfare is not always easy. In every one of those situations that I named, in every one of them, we shout because of the victory that came. But you know, right before that victory, you go, you, you just rewind one day, just one day, one day before the victory, it seemed hopeless. It seemed like how many times am I going to have to pray? How many times am I going to have to ask Him to come to church? How many times am I going to have to share my faith? How many times am I going to have to do this? Is it ever going to work? You see, warfare is not always easy. Sometimes it's tiresome. But brothers and sisters, we can't quit. We can't give up. We can't leave the weapons on the wall and just talk about them. It's time that we embrace them. Begin praying for one another's family. One of the most pathetic statements in the Bible. A boy was demon-possessed and his father wanted the boy to get help and his Father brought his boy to Jesus' disciples and Jesus was not there at the time. He was away and he was actually with three of his other disciples and they came down off of the mountain and, and this is what the father, he comes to Jesus and he says, I brought my boy and he's been vexed by these demons. He's been vexed by these demon spirits and I brought my boy to your disciples to heal him. And here's the quote. But they could not. It's one of the most pathetic statements in the Bible. But they could not. You see, we are the hands and feet. God chooses to work through the church. It's God that does the work, but He does it through us. You've got to understand that. Yeah, that's right. So while God is able... And it is God that supplies the power. It is God that does the work. He does it through the work of the church. I wonder if it is said of us, but they could not. I wonder if it's said of you in your family and the chains and the darkness and the pain when it's brought to you. Can you fix it? Or is it said of you, but He could not. But she could not. Jesus did what only He could. I'm talking about the weapons on the wall still. Jesus did what only He could do. And He healed that boy. And later, His disciples came to Him. And they were curious because Jesus had already sent them out. And they had already worked miracles. And they had preached. And they had had power over demons already. 
This is why the man brought the boy to the disciples, because they had done these things. So they came to Jesus. They said, Lord, why could you do it and we could not? Jesus said this, because some things come only by prayer and fasting. Now, I want you to look at the event with me for just a moment, guys. Did Jesus do this when the man brought the boy to him? Did Jesus say, sir, I will handle this in three days? I want you to leave three days from now, and I'm going to pray about this, and I'm going to fast, and you bring him back to me. No, he did not. Right there, in that moment, he laid hands on the boy and cast the demons out, and he was free. And his response is, some things come by prayer and fasting. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure it out. Jesus had already prayed and already fasted long before the circumstance ever came into his life. Here's the principle. It is a way of life. How often, I hope you hear what I'm preaching this morning, how often do we decide we're going to pray and we're going to fast once there's a problem? See, they weren't able. We live a defensive lifestyle where we're waiting for the devil to attack. We're waiting for something negative to happen. And then once he does, then we'll get serious. Then we'll spend an hour or two in prayer. Then we'll push away a few plates. And then we'll ask God to do something about it. Hey, we're at war, brothers and sisters. We need to be praying ahead of time. We need to be fasting ahead of time. We need to be ready at all times so that when the situation's brought to us, we are not guilty of saying, I haven't prayed. I am not ready. I am not in a position to do the work of God. I have not fasted. I have not prepared myself. But guys, we are to live in a continual lifestyle where we are ready to be used each and every day of our lives. And there is a war for my family, for your family, for the soul of man. Oh, it's time we take the weapons off the wall. Amen? Now just talk about them. We'll talk about how great the Word of God is. More than likely, everybody here has a Bible in their house. But how often are you in it? Is it collecting dust up on the shelf? Do you have it on display just like the weapons on the wall? And you talk about how great it is. And you talk about how powerful it is. And you talk about all the great things that's been done in it. But you don't open it up yourself so that it can get into you. The weapons are on the walls. This morning, God has called us to something big, church. God has called us to be His hands, His feet, His voice. God has called us to take the message of hope to a lost and dying world. I would, I would be surprised if there's one single family in here under the sound of my voice that does not have lost family members. I'll bet every single one of us have somebody in our family that needs saved. And I'll bet the majority of us have somebody that's close to us that need an amazing touch from God. A miracle. Something that only God can do to move in their life. To move in their circumstance. Without a show of hands. How many of you are praying about it? And I don't just mean God do something for this person. I mean getting specific. 
You say, well, I do pray about it. Let me ask you this question. How many minutes a day do you pray specifically for your lost family? In my spirit, I'm guessing, and I feel, it's probably accurate, I'll bet it's less than two minutes a day on average in here. Less than two minutes. I'll bet the average person in here spends at least an hour on Facebook. I'm not against Facebook. I post on it all the time. But I'll tell you this. I've learned I've got to keep my prayer life where my prayer life needs to be and keep it in priority. And if anything else has to suffer, it has to suffer. You see, we are in a war. Are the weapons on the wall or are you using them, brothers and sisters? Some things come only, only by prayer and fasting. I sure pray that when I stand before God, I am never rightly accused of being unable because I wouldn't pray and fast. If it's true that some things only come through prayer and fasting, do you realize if you're not doing that, there's some things you can't do? And the weapons are on the wall. What about the weapon of faith? That weapon that rises up in us that says, you know what, God is able. And I might not understand it. I might not know how it's going to happen. But I know this. I'm going to obey God. I'm going to believe God. I'm going to trust God. And I'm going to do what God asks me to do. Because God is able to do above and abundantly beyond all that I could ask or imagine. And faith is going to control my life. The weapons have got to come off the wall sometime, folks. And I believe it is time for us to take the weapons off the wall. As our worship team comes, I want to say two things. Number one, it was a lack of prayer that caused Jesus to come into the church and throw tables over and drive people out. Now, I know that they were falsely handling money. I know that they were using the poor and getting rich off of the poor. But Jesus' words were this, My Father's house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Jesus said it was meant to be a house of prayer. And secondly, I don't know exactly how I'm going to do it yet, But I believe over the next couple of months, that we're going to try to strategically do some things together to take the weapons off the wall. I'm not real sure what. I don't know yet. All this sort of came at me last night at about 11 o'clock. We're going to begin to do some things together, some fasting together, some praying together, some special prayer services, probably another all-night prayer type deal. Maybe a week of prayer. We're going, to, we're going to begin to strategically take the weapons off the wall together and go to battle for our families, for our lost loved ones, for this community. And not just talk about it. There, it is important to talk about it, though. It's important. 
I don't know about you, but last night when I was thinking about the stuff I took you through, faith started to rise up in me. And I hope it began to rise up in you this morning as we look at some of the great things God has done. Even here in this church, in this recent era, in this recent time, God is still able. Don't give up. Don't grow weary. Father, move in this room. Move on hearts. Move on hearts, God. Lord, maybe somebody just needs to come this morning and worship You because, God, You have done some amazing things. You have heard us, God. You have answered prayers. God, You have done Your part. And You have done great things in our midst. And Lord, it's been a little while since we remembered those things and worshiped You. And maybe this morning Your people just need to come and worship. God, maybe there's some, Lord, that the truth is it's time that they quit talking about just what You've done and realize there's a time and place to take those weapons off of the wall and get to praying and get to fasting and get to witnessing and get to sharing their faith. And they've grown complacent. And God, today they need to just come and say, God, enough's enough. For me, this day at this time, it's time for me to take the weapons off the wall and get to war for my family. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. Sin has raised its head once again, and I did not stand. In the power that you've given, created me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. For you alone can fully redeem. for you to meet him 
trying hard And this is all my shame Being poured out before the cross This is where mercy abounds This is where I am set free This is where forgiveness Is poured out on me This miracle called the choices I've made, and this is where His blood covers every one of my mistakes, where brokenness meets healing, and guilt is overwhelmed, by the truth that God's love can reach beyond where I can This is my broken spirit. This is my contrite heart. This is all my shame being poured out before the cross. This is where mercy abounds. This is where I am set free. This is where forgiveness is poured. 